If you have thyroid eye disease and the pain in the back of your eye is forcing bad words from your mouth, it might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit treatmyted.com. That's treatmyted.com. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 50 Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Hoping to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king. But in the battle for survival of our republic, it's going to be reality and not illusion or delusion that will determine the future. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at RightNowJimDawes. Shoot me an email. The address is rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com. Or you can call the vent line at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Well, we're going to get to all the impeachment news. We're going to catch up to the uh, the, uh, closing days, the final dash toward the finish line at the Democratic primary out there in Iowa. Bernie Sanders is uh, is leading. Yesterday, I, I misspoke. I said he was leading by 15 points. He is, in fact, leading. He's leading by 15 points in California, but uh, not Iowa. It's closer than that. Uh, I, I, I'm seeing anywhere between a four- and five-point lead uh, for Bernie Sanders. We'll have to see how it shakes out. I think this impeachment uh, uh, trial going on in the Senate is dragging Biden's numbers down as he becomes the topic of more and more uh, corruption there in the Ukraine and in China and elsewhere with his family. But I want to start by talking about the the USMCA, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement that's designed to replace NAFTA. The president signed uh, that treaty yesterday uh, on the White House lawn. (laughs) He didn't invite any Democrats, which uh, I don't blame him. They, um, you know, they agreed to this UMCA because they had a lot of pressure from labor groups and, uh, and they, they were under pressure to try to demonstrate that they were getting something, anything done for the voters that sent them there when, when they promised that they weren't going to, uh, you know, constantly be fighting. Uh, they've broken that promise. As soon as they came into office, they took out on an impeachment. But this uh, United States-Mexico-Canada trade agreement, um, it, from what I can tell, is a marginal improvement over NAFTA. It is not uh, what I would hope for, and that would be uh, you know unilateral deals with each country. But uh, they, they uh, help on the margins uh, our, our factories and uh, our manufacturing workers and uh, – and they do help uh, get our agricultural products into Canada, who had to um, throw in the towel on their uh, just outright protectionism of their their own agricultural sector to the detriment of our farmers. I've got about a one-minute clip of the president uh, signing the USMCA. 
Mexico and Canada have agreed to new labor protections that my administration negotiated. The USMCA is the first trade deal in nearly two decades endorsed by the AFL-CIO. Thank you very much. Great. That was great. Thank you. The USMCA contains critical protections for intellectual property, including trade secrets, digital services, and financial services. It establishes new standards and safeguards protecting the environment and currency stability, something that has been on my mind for a lot of years, long before I got here. What they've done to us with currency is crazy. It includes protections for American-made fibers, yarns, and fabrics, boosting the U.S. textile industry by numbers that you won't even believe. You'll see them soon. This is a cutting-edge, state-of-the-art agreement that protects, defends, and serves the great people of our country. Thanks to our pro-worker, pro-American economic policies, unemployment is at the lowest level in more than 50 years. That's great. Well, it's historically uh, low under uh, uh, unemployment. You know, and I want to believe that this USMCA is all that it's cracked up to be. I, I really don't see it in the uh, the summaries of the agreement that, that I've read. And uh, you notice that the president there in that clip thanked uh, the AFL-CIO, whose, um, whose head uh, Richard Trumka was in attendance. But you got to remember that Richard Trumka uh, withheld his support for the USMCA for as long as the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi uh, determined that it was in their strategic interest to sit on it. Now, behind the scenes, he may have been arguing for them to get off the dime and go ahead and approve this uh, because it is an improvement for his members. But uh, when they actually agreed to it, they inserted provisions that loaded down the USMCA with all sorts of uh, goodies for uh, the the labor leaders. They get to set up boards and and travel to seminars, and uh, you know there there was gravy inserted in there uh, to to get their support. I think the president was really calling out uh, labor uh, uh, to uh, to go over. Trumpka's heads directly to the members so they can realize that Trump is on his, on their side even when uh, their own leaders are putting them in the back seat to the Democrat Party's agenda. But we've got that uh, USMCA taken care of. The next uh, agreement I would hope for would be a big push to sign a, uh, a replacement agreement with the United Kingdom who is now uh, withdrawing from the European Union with Brexit. I've got a clip I'm going to play for you in the second half of the show of Nigel Farage walking out of the, US, uh, the European Union for the last time and uh, and <laughs> giving them a little kick in the butt on the way out. Hey, have you, um, have you sent me your name and email address to enter into our free giveaway for this bag of America Pride Roasters coffee? A gourmet small batch Boutique coffee is just absolutely delicious. Uh, I've got uh, all of the names and uh, emails from the people who entered last week that are going to be re-entered this week. This will be the last week of the giveaway, so send me your name and email address at rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com or on Twitter at rightnowjimdaws or 
you can uh, leave a voicemail at 772-245-0750. You know, I watched a little bit of this question and answer period at the at the Senate impeachment trial, and uh, Adam Schiff is really... He is going to go down in history as one of the most skilled and shameless liars in the history of this country. His name is going to become a verb when somebody is spinning very elaborate lies. It's going to be called, uh, you know, telling a shift. And the longer he talks, the more he lies. He doesn't seem to be able to get through any statement without peppering it with lies. He, he can't help it. I think he is, in fact, a, a pathological liar. By last night, uh, um, before the session ended, he was back to accusing Donald Trump of bribery. You know, everything else is failing, so he's just uh, he's throwing the kitchen sink, and he's including accusations that are not contained in their articles of impeachment. But the, uh, the, the big debate now is whether or not they're going to call John Bolton because he uh, has leaked early galleys of his his book that uh, tends to play into the house manager's um, impeachment fever and uh, as a result his the pre-sales of his book on amazon have shot up i think he's in the top 10 now you know some of these uh books in fact earn their authors millions of dollars and i think that's exactly what's going on here i don't think that at the end of the day John Bolton's going to have much that he's going to be able to contribute to the Democrats' case. Adam Schiff keeps going, droning on and on. Well, we have to have witnesses. Uh, You can't have a trial without witnesses. What he's not telling you is that the House managers have submitted the, the transcripts of 17 witnesses that they called during their House impeachment frenzy. They actually had 18 witnesses. Adam Schiff is sitting on one of the one of the uh, transcripts of uh, Atkinson, the intelligence community inspector general, that uh, details the so-called whistleblowers' uh, conflicts of interest and bias in this case. He's not letting them see that. That's a transcript that actually exists. There's no discussion about. You know, the Senate getting their hands on Michael Atkinson's testimony. They want John Bolton. And, of course, in this case that Adam Schiff and the Democrats worked up in the House, there were zero Republican witnesses. But you got Adam Schiff going on and on about, we have to have witnesses. We have to have witnesses. Well, I think I've said this for a long time. They need to give Adam Schiff the same exact treatment in the Senate that he gave the Republicans in the House. Zero witnesses. We can gavel down your questions. And the majority uh, controls the entire process. <laughs> I heard somebody say last night that uh, John Bolton has become the Julie Swetnick of the House in, uh, impeachment fever. He's the one that they're going to trot out at the last minute and it's going to collapse and amount to nothing. Rudy Giuliani was uh, pretty harsh on John Bolton, I'd say. Mexico and Canada have agreed to... Come on, Jimbo, get it right. Here we go. 
This is the only conclusion I can come to, and it's a harsh one, and I feel very bad about it. He's a backstabber. Well, uh, you would have to consider him a backstabber. He's made the calculation that uh, he can sell a whole bunch of books if he dangles the prospect that he may be, in fact, the key to removing Donald Trump. Over on MSNBC's Morning Joe, Willie Geist asked one of their guests about uh, whether or not if uh, if John Bolton's going to testify, are we going to be able to get to talk to Hunter as well? Hey, Congressman, it's Willie Geist. As we talk about relevant witnesses, I think you were probably listening along. Um, your reaction to Democratic Senator Joe Manchin saying Hunter Biden is a relevant witness. Do you see him that way? Well, it's my view that Hunter Biden is not a relevant witness, but I have great respect for Joe Manchin and for all of the senators on both sides of the aisle. And ultimately, uh, they, in the first instance, will make this decision in terms of the witnesses uh, that should be called. Although, as Senator Manchin indicated, I do believe that Chief Justice John Roberts should be the ultimate arbiter and referee in terms of deciding relevance. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. They, uh, they call for a vote of the senators, and uh, if they get 51, then they get the witness. If they don't, if they just get 50, if it's 50-50, then the motion fails for lack of a majority, and they don't get the witness. So I suspect at the end of this, uh, uh, Mitch McConnell is going to be able to round up his votes, and, uh, and at the very most, he'll get 50 witnesses for John Bolton's testimony. Motion will fail for lack of a majority, and uh, he won't testify. I don't think that the Democrat, uh, the uh, the senators, are going to vote to sit there in session for these long days for months and months while they open up this uh, this Pandora box of witnesses. That clip there was Hakeem Jeffries. Willie Geist was interviewing Hakeem Jeffries, and he happened to mention that uh, Joe Manchin, a senator from West uh, Virginia says he wouldn't mind hearing from Hunter. If, in fact, they, we get to the point where witnesses are being allowed, would you vote to call Hunter Biden as a witness? If the judge or whoever rules it, it's pertinent, absolutely. They, get, they keep going back to the judge is going to rule on uh, whether or not these witnesses are relevant. That's not the, that's not the test. I, I don't think that the judge gets to impose uh, his, his will on the Senate. But you know what I keep wondering is uh, they keep talking about calling Hunter Biden to testify. It's not it's not so much Hunter Biden I want to hear from. I know what Hunter Biden did. That's documented. I, I guess I would like to hear from him. He had a, um, a million-dollar-plus-year job with Burisma where Burisma was buying protection from him, paying him all this money to get protection from his uh, his father, the vice president who was in charge of the Ukrainian portfolio. We know what Hunter did for that million dollars plus a year. He attended a couple of seminars, went on a fishing trip, never in fact even traveled to the Ukraine. But I want to talk to Joe Biden. <laughs> you know, this this offers an opportunity and the senators might not take it because, you know, they uh, a lot of them might have skeletons in their own closet. But this offers an opportunity to expose the kind of corruption that Joe Biden engaged in during his almost 50-year-long career in politics, most of it right there in that, uh, that Senate. 
And if they get to uh, start asking him about, you know, whether or not he fired the prosecutor in the Ukraine in order to uh, to uh, deliver for Burisma, who is paying his son millions and millions of dollars, then we also get to look at similar transactions. There's a there's a theory uh, or, or a practice in law. If you're trying to use a uh, to prove a case, you can use similar transactions to show that uh, the witness or the defendant has a history of that. And Joe Biden's history has a long record of similar transactions where he enriched his family, not only Hunter in the Ukraine and in China and uh, in Romania as well, but his brothers Frank and James and his uh, his daughter and his son-in-law. He is a profile in corruption, as Peter Schweitzer would call it. Peter Schweitzer, of course, has got this uh, this book out that's uh, that's got a roadmap for the senators to uh, to dig into when they're uh, uncovering Joe Biden's corruption. I would love it. I would gladly trade um, John Bolton's testimony. For the Bidens, I think that they, the senators, know if they if they open the door to John Bolton that they're gonna they're gonna hear from the Bidens, and then we're gonna be off to the races. I don't believe the Senate is gonna vote to sit there for many more months while all of this plays out, and mostly because the Democrats, it's quite clear from the questioning yesterday, haven't even alleged a case. That's worthy of impeachment. That's why Adam Schiff started uh, throwing accusations of bribery around by the end of the session yesterday. Bob Costa, who uh, used to be, you know, uh, one of these far left wing reporters, but now hosts uh, one of those news shows over at uh, PBS, points out that uh, Mitch is, is pushing to put an end to this. And it was clear coming out of the room that McConnell had a a message for his members. He didn't have the votes yet to prevent witnesses from coming before this trial. At the same time, he's not pushing for witnesses. So he's putting pressure on Senator Romney and others to find the votes, those 51 votes they need to get witnesses, or else the majority leader is going to move pretty quickly in the coming days to end this trial. So it was a message to his members about what he wants, and he talked about the risks in his eyes of having a witness fight because he said to them... You can't just call Bolton. It'll lead to witness after witness after witness in his view. The uh, the left-wing media had an orgasm the night before last when it was revealed that uh, Mitch McConnell didn't have the votes to block witnesses. We didn't have the votes because uh, there were some people still on the fence. I believe at the end of the day that he will have the votes. And uh, even MSNBC admits that the Senate including many Democrats, or some Democrats, I should say, are moving away from this whole notion of more witnesses. 
Uh, the Washington Post and others have reported that many vulnerable Republicans at this time, instead of trying to move to the center to try to seem like they're pushing for witnesses and going along with Senator Collins or Senator Romney, they're actually privately telling the majority leader, we want this done and they want this trial over with. Many Republicans privately are pulling reporters aside and say they want to wrap this up before the State of the Union because they do not see a political upside in calling witnesses or prolonging this discussion about President Trump's conduct. They need his political capital in 2020. Look at Senator Ernst standing uh, at a a microphone and criticizing Vice President Biden. Look at uh, Senator Rick Scott of Florida airing anti-Biden ads. So you have the entire Republican Party, to Willie's important point, embracing Trumpism at this critical moment just months before the election. Well, they better embrace Trumpism because if you go against Donald Trump, you are not going to get reelected. The uh, the senators that are most often cited as being on the fence are Susan Collins. Can you imagine if Susan Collins uh, voted for witnesses and uh, and then ended up getting you know a, a majority uh, for impeachment, I know it takes two thirds to remove, but if they have a majority uh, for impeachment against Donald Trump for removal, I should say, it's going to be a, a a hammer that they can they can use against Trump during the election. But Susan Collins, if if she uh, voted against Mitch McConnell, she would be punished by by the Republican base there in Maine. And you've got Doug Jones down in Alabama. <laughs> he's probably he's, he's probably doomed no matter what happens he, he might as well go down like a kamikaze and uh and you got cory gardner out there in california but he i think he's already gone on record now saying that he he doesn't need to hear from any more witnesses you got lowell weicker mild-mannered um senator where is lowell weicker from in, is it indiana Anyway, here's what he says about more witnesses. I don't think uh, the testimony of Ambassador Bolton would would be helpful because I, I basically think, um, in agreement with the very scholarly approach that uh, Mr. Dershowitz gave, that um, there's there's no article there that is grounds for impeachment or removal. That's what they do in court a lot. They they argue that even if you believed everything that the other side is saying, they still would not have a, a case uh, to argue for any relief. Even if you uh, um, give them the benefit of the doubt, you you buy their whole case, they still would not prevail. I think David Axelrod. Uh, well, let me uh, let me play this clip from Jeffrey Tubin over there at CNN who is having to admit that the clips that the uh, White House attorneys played of the House managers back during the Clinton impeachment saying that a partisan impeachment would be illegitimate was very effective. But the idea that certainly uh, Nadler uh, said and, and Lofgren said that there shouldn't be a partisan impeachment, you know, is is a very legitimate point. And it is a point that the Republicans have raised effectively throughout this process, that uh, the uh, the Constitution, particularly because uh, there's a two thirds requirement in the Senate, um, 
effectively, but not literally, uh, requires more than just partisanship to uh, more than just a partisan effort uh, to throw a president out of office. Here's what's going to happen. As badly as I'd love to hear from the Bidens, they're going to vote to block witnesses. They may, however, uh, subpoena the manuscript of John Bolton's book that has been submitted to the National Security Council for review and uh, and uh, declassification. They'll get that book if they want it. In it, I don't think it's going to have any bombshells. If there were more bombshells to, uh, to include, it would have been included in that uh, New York Times story, which had sort of a mealy-mouthed, uh, representation that John Bolton had, uh, uh, that Trump had told Bolton that uh, he he wanted to withhold aid to make the Ukraine announce him, uh, investigations. I don't think the Senate's going to sit back and let that uh, that information come come out without them having a heads up about you know what is exactly contained in that book. You know, I've, I've settled for a long time that the Democrats and the, this left-wing modern Democrat party wrecks everything it touches. And they have now uh, done their best to try to wreck the impeachment clause in the U.S. Constitution. And now it's up to the Senate to make sure that that doesn't happen. we got to run out to a break. When we come back, we'll take a little bit of a look at this new Israeli-Palestinian peace plan and, uh, and the campaign from Iowa right after these messages. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word, delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. A daily journal of news, politics, and culture. From an America first perspective. So the president, uh, you know, the, the more pressure the Democrats put on him, the harder he works and the more good things he does. Uh, he went to the Rose Garden yesterday during the question and answer segment of the Senate impeachment trial, signed this USMCA, which uh, I believe is going to improve the economy in the United States and uh, and contribute to increased wages for working people. 
And uh, I guess it was uh, the day before that. Man, the news cycle is so tight now. Yeah, it was the day before that that he uh, met with B.B. Netanyahu to announce uh, this uh, this peace proposal that they've put on the table between Israel and the Palestinians. Now, let me say that, you know, for my whole life, this, uh, this peace plan uh, shell game has been going on between the Israel, uh, Israel and the Palestinians. And it's been the U.S. taxpayers who have repeatedly stepped in and, uh, and paid billions and billions of dollars to both sides if they will just make peace. And, uh, and you know, it cools down uh, the conflict uh, for a while uh, until the money runs out, and then they go right back to it, and, uh, and we start the whole thing over again. I don't have much confidence that this time is going to be any different. What this peace plan, that the proposal, I should say, this peace proposal that they've put together appears to do is uh, is etch in stone uh, these these settlements, these uh, Jewish settlements in the West Bank, and incorporate them into Israel proper in exchange for the United States taxpayers giving uh, the Palestinians fifty billion dollars. And um, and the a, a a state of their own with what's left of the West Bank, including a tunnel that, that'll be paid for. I have no doubt by U.S. taxpayers that will link uh, the West Bank to the Gaza Strip, so that they won't, you know, have to uh, transit through Israeli territory. So, you know, I, I guess the, the practical part of this proposal is that it moves forward with or without the Palestinians. It is going to, uh, on behalf of the United States, I, I guess this is going to have to be ratified by the Congress. It will recognize the, uh, the settlements, uh, uh, Jewish settlements in the West Bank as part of Israel now. And it will put on the table this $50 billion of U.S. taxpayer money for the Palestinians if they're willing to accept it and, uh, and have a, a state of their own with what's left of the West Bank. I don't think that the Palestinians are going to accept it. Obviously, Israel will. And, um, and we'll, we'll do all of this over again, uh, you know, after the $50 billion runs out. Here is Jared Kushner talking about this peace deal. I think what we saw yesterday was Israel take a giant step towards peace, and it was an accomplishment that only President Trump could have delivered on. President Trump has built the trust of the Israeli people. Uh, He's gotten them to spend the time, sit down, go through a detailed proposal. Uh, If you look at the original proposal, the Arab Peace Initiative, that was an eight-line proposal. It was a good-faith proposal. Past proposals have been two to three pages. This is an over-80-page proposal with a map, never been done before. And getting Israel to agree to a Palestinian state and also agreeing to a map is an amazing first step that will make us uh, be more closer to peace in the near future. Jared, what's in if this I'm not, if, if I'm not mistaken, Israel has signaled their uh, willingness to agree to a Palestinian state for a long time. That hasn't changed. 
The only thing that's changed here is that uh, Israel is getting recognition from the United States of their annexation of the West Bank. Here is Laura Logan, who is now uh, a Fox News contributor and has a show on uh, their their new pay subscription channel, uh, Fox Nation. But this still favors Israel yeah. very heavily. In it fact, does. I mean, the Trump administration moved the capital to Jerusalem, right, straight from straight off the bat. So, so they're not exactly seen as a neutral partner in this. But perhaps that's sort of a more honest stance because the U.S. was never really regarded by the Palestinians that I spoke to as a neutral partner anyway. Well, the United States is not a neutral partner. We are, uh, you know, we are the benefactor. We are the uh, protector of Israel. Israel's a protectorate. They keep saying Israel's our greatest ally. They're saying now that Ukraine is a great ally. These are not allies. These are protectorates. These are countries that uh, we have taken on the job of, uh, of providing for their defense. And I'm not necessarily opposed to it in the case of Israel. Uh, I do believe that, uh, you know, the Jewish people have suffered historical uh, wrongs and that uh, the United States ought to be on uh, the side of Israel. But I would say this. If Israel is going to be entirely reliant on the United States for their defense in the form of these billions of dollars a year, we give them to turn back around and buy United States munitions. We're trying to set up the same sort of deal for the military and industrial complex there in the Ukraine. But if we're, if we're, if the American taxpayers are going to be on the hook for Israel's defense, then let's go ahead and just make Israel the 51st state so they can pay taxes too. If they're going to be so reliant on the United States then hell, let's just go ahead and uh, annex them. That'll get me in trouble. Okay, where are we at? Uh, okay, so you got Elizabeth Warren out there. She's desperately trying to get attention of the voters in Iowa, and her latest proposal is that she's going to impose criminal penalties. She's going to put, put people in jail for spreading misinformation online. <laughs> and that's what I keep referring to as this leftist impulse toward despotism. She's, she's going to say if you put something online that the government disagrees with and classifies as misinformation, then she's going to throw your butt in jail. And this is coming from Elizabeth Warren, one of the major traffickers of misinformation, like, oh, I'm an American Indian. And now she's, she's going to say that if, if we get power, if I get power, if I become president, anything that my government disagrees with that we see online, we're going to hold you criminally liable. We're going to drag you into a D.C. courtroom and throw you in jail. And this is after, of course, um, the latest talking point has come out from the Democrats that uh, – Facebook is trying to reelect Donald Trump because they're not uh, banning his advertising. And what's kind of amazing is uh, the New York Times endorsed Elizabeth Warren, the same Elizabeth Warren that is now, you know, trying to stomp all over the First Amendment of the Constitution. 
apparently the New York Times as a, a, an endorsed mouthpiece for the, uh, the despotic Democrat Party is all on board with that. Got old Joe Biden out there. He is he is desperate to uh, to keep Bernie from defeating him in Iowa, and um, and he's clinging as hard as he can to his his status as an Obama bro, despite the fact that um, Barack Obama has still not endorsed Joe Biden, and in fact, I think is going to end up. Um, endorsing uh, uh, the former liberal Massachusetts governor. Um, I'm trying to think of his name. I'm trying to dribble the ball until I... Patrick Duvall. Uh, Patrick Duvall. Duvall Patrick. I think that that's going to be Obama's candidate. But here's a clip that just, just sort of illustrates how devoted and in love the voters are with uh, Obama's legacy and how Joe Biden is trying to cling to that legacy. So would you consider appointing Obama for the Supreme Court? Yeah, I would, but I don't think he'd do it. He'd be a great Supreme Court judge. Second question is, which Obama? Well, I sure would like uh, Michelle to be the vice president. Uh, I sure would like <laughs> Michelle to be the vice president, and I'll put uh, I'll put Barack on the Supreme Court. I love me some Obamas. But at that same uh, town hall that was sparsely attended, I think he had about 150 people present. <laughs> uh, I just love it. Donald Trump has people wait for days and days, overflow crowds in the biggest venues they can find in in Democrat strongholds, and uh, and the candidates out there in Iowa can't even fill a room. But Biden admitted that, um, you know, if if he's elected president, that's a pretty shaky proposition. I can think of at least eight women, at least four or five people of color, that I think are totally qualified to be Vice President of the United States, but for me, it has to be demonstrated that whoever I pick is two things. One, is capable of needing to be president because I'm an old guy. Uh, I'm an old guy, and uh, and I might fall over dead. So we got to get a, a woman or a, a person of color in there just in case I do. And at the same time, he's got that ad out there, or that, uh, or he's uh, he's up there saying that that I'm old and may uh, may fall over so it's very important that i have a a person of color as my vice president you got joe biden running ads in iowa against bernie uh, pointing out that he just had a heart attack in addition to other things the most important thing is we have to be trump we've seen the damage that trump and the republican congress have done i doubt if bernie sanders can beat trump I like Bernie. I think he has great ideas. But Michigan, Pennsylvania, Iowa, they're just not going to vote for a socialist. I do have some concerns about Bernie Sanders' health, considering the fact that he did have a heart attack. I do have some concerns about Bernie Sanders' health. He just had a heart attack. Well, guess what? Old Joe Biden has had the top of his skull removed twice 
to uh, to to operate on aneurysms. So he, he's not exactly um, a picture of health himself. I do have some concerns about Bernie Sanders' health, considering the fact that he did have a heart attack. I think it's very important that Democrats nominate somebody that can beat Trump. I don't feel as though Bernie Sanders would do well against Donald Trump. I just don't think Bernie can beat Trump. DMFI PAC is responsible for the content of this advertising. Well, he's right. Bernie can't beat Trump, and neither can Joe Biden. If they make Joe Biden their nominee, uh, the the chronology of corruption that Joe Biden and his family have engaged in is going to be laid bare for the whole world to see. I don't think any of these Democrat candidates can beat Trump. That's, that's why they're, uh, they're trying, the Democrats are trying to tear Trump down with this bogus impeachment that's backfiring on them as well. Man, I was watching, uh, Tucker Carlson last night, and he had on Nancy Grace. Nancy Grace has also got a show on Fox Nation. That is one angry woman. I don't know what she was. Uh, I'm trying to remember what she was talking about. Uh, oh, she was talking about the the elimination of cash bail in New York and how the crime rate as a result of the this elimination of cash bail in New York has just gone through the roof. And Nancy Grace got on there. Man, she she needs to be on somebody's couch somewhere. I've had some dealings with Nancy Grace. She was a, uh, a former prosecutor in uh, in Fulton County, city of Atlanta, uh, where city of Atlanta is located, uh, for for the um, district attorney Slayton Slanton, uh, and she was a very successful prosecutor. But she has taken her act uh, from CNN over to Fox Nation now. And uh, (laughs) she's got some serious issues. Speaking of CNN, over there on uh, Don Lemon's show uh, last week, of course, he, I think it was on Friday, may have been Thursday of last week, he, uh, he had that segment with Rick Wilson and Wajahat Ali, where he ridiculed uh, any any supporters of Donald Trump as being ignorant rubes. Well, he, he's come out now with a sort of a non-apology apology because of all of the heat he was taking from his, uh, his fellow so-called journalists and on social media. Ask anyone who knows me. They'll tell you. I don't believe in belittling people. During an interview on Saturday night, one of my guests said something that made me laugh. And while in the moment I found that joke humorous, and I didn't catch everything that was said, just to make this perfectly clear, I was laughing at the joke and not at any group of well, people. The laughing, the, the joke was that Trump supporters are a bunch of hick rubes. So that doesn't relieve him. It, it, and he doesn't apologize there. And, and we're supposed to believe, if you watch that clip, that he didn't hear what was being said. That's a that's a lie. As Rick Wilson and Wajahat Ali were digging in, you know, claiming that uh, Trump supporters were illiterate and couldn't read. I guess that's the same thing. He was just laughing his fool head off. <laughs> and now he's going to uh, go on there and and tell an obvious lie and an obvious shift that he uh he wasn't 
He wasn't laughing at people. He wasn't allowing his guests to ridicule people because of where they're from. I'll just play you a minute of what happened on uh, on Don Lemon's show. Look, he also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience. Uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one. And they're oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. <laughs> you, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and your reading. <laughs> yeah, you're reading. You know, so that in the background, that's uh, that's Don Lemon laughing at, at the comments that he claims he could not hear. <laughs> you, you elite us with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and your reading. Yeah, you're reading, you know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte, all those lines on the map. <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't care what Don Lemon's uh, opinion of me is, or Rick Wilson, or Wajahat Ali. I, I, uh, I, I, and I think you should too. Wear wear their contempt as a badge of honor. I think Joe Concha uh, had the best take on uh, Don Lemon, and Rick Wilson, and Wajahat Ali's. Uh, scorn don lemon had to address that last night why didn't he address it on sunday remember that clip is from saturday sunday or monday or all of tuesday he has a twitter account last i checked he had a show on monday night he's only saying this now because the president called him out and then other people as well have gone on and this thing really went viral i, I go to bob woodward right bob woodward's writing another book mm -hmm. and the president thinks so much of him that now he's giving him full access right. and woodward's a great journalist he said this right after trump was elected he says i worry i worry for the business for the perception of the business not not just Trump supporters, they see that smugness. And right. that's the word. It's not so much the criticism of Trump and you want to hit him on policy, that's fine. It's the smugness and the condescension that we see. No, it doesn't bother me even a little bit that Don Lemon was on there with these two buffoons criticizing Southerners and criticizing Trump supporters. I think it just shows uh, what fools they really are. You got Rick Wilson calls himself a, a Republican conservative strategist out there just wrecking his own business. So yesterday I commented on this coronavirus. I took some heat by, by saying I wonder why they named it after a beer. I think it was uh, Alan Trotter who called me out for uh, saying that I, I liked Corona beer. It was one of my favorites. It is a damn good beer on a, a hot day at the beach of sort of a light Pilsner beer. But, you know, I thought I was making a joke, but uh, it turns out that people are making the connection between the coronavirus and the Mexican beer, and they're thinking that uh, they're somehow related. There's a big story in USA Today about it. I also got a uh, uh, an answer on Twitter from uh, uh, Artist Rule, Artist FKA Rule, he said that a 14% mortality rate in China means nothing here in the United States. 
claims the coronavirus is not a threat with U.S. medical care and uh, goes on to say that I was fear-mongering by citing the stock market uh, was in free fall yesterday, calls the stock market a panicky deer and says that uh, they're they're bouncing back into positive territory today. Well, I, I certainly hope artist FKA rule is right. Um, I, I notice a lot of people with a lot more know a lot more about this topic than me are equally as uh, panicked. I don't claim to be an immunologist or anybody uh, that's got a lot of knowledge of uh, public health, but um, you know, even if this were a a lower number than a fourteen percent mortality rate, you're still talking about a huge threat to public health in the United States just because. The virus is mutating so uh, so quickly and uh, is so uh, contagious. And it's got this two-week incubation period that makes it impossible to screen people, um, you know, and know for a fact that they aren't infected. You know, I think one of the saddest things to come out of this, uh, you, this uh, impeachment frenzy is um, there's sort of cementing in our involvement in the Ukraine. We're, uh, we're getting drug into another one of these uh, proxy war, wars, similar to what happened in the Cold War in Afghanistan and El Salvador and Angola and other places. A war with Ukraine through proxies, or a war with Russia through proxies. And this one is right there on the doorstep of Russia and the Ukraine, and Russia's got um, historic, ancient ties uh, to the Ukraine. The Ukraine has been a conflict zone between Europe and Russia for centuries. And what I'm arguing is we, we don't have any business. We don't have a dog in this fight. If it is so important for the Europeans to drag Ukraine back into this orbit, let them spend their money. Let them spill their blood for this. This is not something that uh, is in the U.S. national interest. You know, when uh, when the State Department under John Kerry in 2014 went into the Ukraine and engineered a coup to overturn the duly elected government that had turned toward Russia, we guaranteed that Russia was going to retake the Crimea. The Crimea was Russian territory. Um, I think it was, uh, uh, it, it was, um, oh, shoot. One of the former Russian presidents who had been born in the Ukraine uh, returned or, or uh, gave the Ukraine to, I'm going to get it right, gave Crimea to the Ukraine as sort of a, a peace offering. But wars have been fought in the Ukraine going back to Catherine the Great. Catherine the Great uh, took the Ukraine um, back in the 18th century, 1780, somewhere back then. And, of course, uh, if you remember in history, 
uh, was Alfred Lord Tennyson that wrote about it in his poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply, there's not to reason why. There's but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well. Into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell rode the 600. Flashed all their sabers bare, flashed as they turned in air, sabering the gunners there, charging an army while all the world wondered. Plunged in the battery smoke, right through the line they broke. Cossack and Russian reeled from the saber stroke, shattered and sundered. Then they rode back, but not, not the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon behind them volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell, while horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell. All that was left of them, left of six hundred. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made. All the world wondered. Honor the charge they made. Honor the light brigade. Noble six hundred. Noble six hundred. That was uh, that was the Crimean War, where Russia uh, took the Crimea, and when we engineered that coup, that made it a, a certainty that they were going to uh, reclaim the Crimea f- from the Ukraine, because it's the uh, it's you know one of their few warm water ports. I think it's their only warm water port uh, uh, on their western frontier. But if, if Europe and Russia want to re-engage in this historic conflict in the Ukraine, why should we pay for it? You got Adam Schiff up there saying that we're fighting the Russians in the Ukraine so we don't have to fight them here. Does that, uh, that rhetoric sound familiar with, to you? We're fighting the terrorists in Iraq so we don't have to fight them here. As if we couldn't just defend our own borders and let the, uh, the terrorists and the, uh, the sectarian ancient blood feuds in the Middle East fight each other. The Charge of the Light Brigade. Uh, you might recall it was Rudyard Kipling that wrote a follow-up poem about what happened to the survivors of the Charge of the Light Brigade. That was called The Last of the Light Brigade. And it was uh, uh, an example of how governments turn their back on, uh, on veterans. I think there were 20 members that survived the Charge of the Light Brigade. And then uh, England turn their back on them even after Lord Tennyson wrote his poem well that takes us to the end of this edition I want to thank you for joining us and invite you back here again tomorrow for another edition of right now on the Mojo 50 radio network
This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwans.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details.